Okay, what I want to talk to you about today, and this is so fitting because what Tammy and Joy just presented to you, victory and victory and defeat. How can that be? Because God's ways are not our ways. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 through 38, the word of our Lord. And what more shall I say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jebeth, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of the weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again. Victory! Now watch the next few verses. <laughs> others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskin, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Victory! <laughs> Do you see that? They were both victorious. Yet by the world's standards, you would think that only those in the first paragraph were the victorious ones and the ones in the second paragraph were the ones who were defeated. So... God, open up our hearts today to this great truth, Lord God, that we can walk victoriously with you day by day. Lord, we live in a world, oh my goodness, devil, the devil, Lord, it's like he's fallen and he's here with his hordes. And Lord God, the things that we're seeing in this country and across this globe, but yet, Lord God, many of us can get caught up in that and we can feel defeated. We can feel like, Lord, we're losing. And Lord God, may we all learn today that in Jesus Christ, it is finished. And we fight from victory, not for victory. Because, Lord, if we walk with you by faith, we all can be victorious day by day, week by week, year by year, for the rest of our lives, Lord God, until we stand with you in glory and we hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So in Jesus' name, I pray, Lord God, bless us today. Amen. Amen. So, you have victory in victory. The first paragraph. And if you look, look here, right? We love these stories, right? We, we love these people. Gideon. Samson. Right? He just he pushed those two pillars and all the towers. The, the entire temple came down and wiped out the Philistines. David taking out Goliath. Samuel. The prophets. The, stop the mouths of lions. Daniel in the lion's den quenched the violence of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, and they came out not burned. Women received their dead raised to life. The, the widow of Zarephath, the widows of, of Elijah and Elisha. Right, victory. Let me just say this to you. One of the key things to really have victory in victory, there's one key thing you need. You need to stay humble. You need to stay humble. You know, one thing that I really love, if you ever, I don't know, some of you, this is going to, oh, he watches that stuff, he's into that stuff. The UFC, you see such humility 
in these men who can go out and they beat the snot out of each other and then the one who wins will go over and embrace the one who has lost. There's such tremendous humility. And you know, once in a while you see some kook going like this after the fight. You know, I'm just like, what a turnoff. You lost, man. Even though you won the fight, you lost. But just being humble in victory. I don't know about you, but I might have been. Aaron Judge, they were saying to me, you know, 43 home runs, you're on pace to hit, what, 67 home runs? And, and, they were t- and you know what he said? You know, how can I not with the player who hits before me and the player who hits after me? Just humility. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm just drawn to that. Because in a world of pride, in a world of ego, you know, egotist, it's, it's a wonderful thing. And then victory and defeat. Because we look at this and, you know, tortured, mocking, scourgings, chains, imprisonment, stones, sawn in two, tempted, slain with the sword, destitute, afflicted, tormented. And you know who that's talking about? Jeremiah, Micah. In fact, the, the, the Talmud says Jeremiah was martyred. We know from the scriptures Micah was martyred. The Talmud says that Isaiah was the one who was sawed in two, that Ezekiel was martyred. And then you go to the New Testament, Stephen. And then James, you know, he was basically, you know, killed with the sword. The apostles, Peter, Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. John was exiled to the island of Patmos. But by the world's standards, these people are victims. But by God's standards, they are victors. They are not defeated, they are victorious. So, I'm familiar with the passage I've been studying going through Hebrews this last month. And as I'm reading it, I'm reading Hebrews chapter 11. And, you know, it's the, it's the hall of faith, right? It's the hall of faith. And it goes through, you know, what, you know, Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David. And it goes through all these people with these great victories, victories. And I'm like, well, how do you get that? I want that. I want more victory in my life. I want to live victoriously every day. And I'll say this to you. If victory is easy, everyone would have it. Right? If victory was guaranteed in the covenant, everyone would have it. It's like like wealth. If becoming wealthy was easy, everyone would be wealthy. If being physically healthy and having health and vitality and energy was easy, everybody would have it. I think the same thing goes with victory. If it was easy, everyone would have it. But it takes, it takes something. There, there are principles that have to be received and, and lived by. So, again, in context, Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith... And it ends again with this paragraph on the ones who are victorious in victory and then those who are victorious in defeat. And I'm like, well, where are the principles? Because if you read scripture, whenever, whenever you have a, a theology that's laid down, you read the epistles. The first two chapters of most of the epistles is, is really sound theology. And the next two chapters or three chapters deal with the application the things you have to put into practice. And so I'm reading the scriptures, and sometimes in chapters in the scriptures, the chapters kind of break up the train of thought 
of the writer, of what the Holy Spirit is doing. By the way, the chapters weren't there when the scriptures were written. The Old Testament, knew that. it was over the course of time that chapters were edited and kind of completed somewhere in the 1800s. So when you read chapter 11, the Hall of Faith, then there's this separation between 11 and 12, but it's in chapter 12 where the principles are laid out. So let's dig in to the principles of how to live victoriously in Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to give you six of them. You ready? They could change your life. You may want to write them down because if you walk out of here, you're likely going to forget. Do you know that you will only remember 8% of what is spoken today by sitting there listening to it? Only 8%. And if you write it down, you can take your comprehension to 66%. That's an increase in comprehension of, I believe, 8% if my math is right. And then they tell us if we will review it over the course of the next 24 hours, just once, we can walk away with a comprehension of 90%. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was sitting where you are, I would not want to be wasting my morning and only walking out with 8%. I don't want to be an 8%er. You ever notice the smartest kids in the class, they always sat in the front rows and they always took notes? Maybe that's why uh, I graduated 325 out of 365, and I literally did. Dumont High School, 325 out of 365, because I never sat in the front row, and I never took a note. In fact, I never picked up a book all through high school. By the way, I did graduate seminary with a 4.0, because it was then that I began to sit in the front of the row and take notes. So you may want to take some notes, because this could be something that could really change your life. Okay, number one. You ready? You ready? Be aware. Now watch in verse 1 of Hebrews 11, right again, the transition, which the chapter usually causes us to, to, to kind of break up, chapter 11, chapter 12. Notice the word therefore. So he's talking in chapter 11 about all the victorious, those who are victorious in victory, those in, uh, who, are, who are victorious in defeat. And then he says therefore. So that's a word, that's a connecting word, right? Therefore... And now he's going to lay out some principles here. Therefore, we also, since are, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. What is he talking about? Who are the great cloud of witnesses? Where are the witnesses? Who is he, who, who is he referring to here? The Hall of Faith. He's referring to chapter 11. That essentially, since we are surrounded by this, this great cloud of these, these great men and women of God, right? he's referring to the hall of faith. Noah and Sarah and Joseph and Jacob and Moses and Deborah and David and the prophets and Gideon and Barak. Folks, we're on a winning team, <laughs> That's, what that, that's the word is saying. We are on a winning team. We are surrounded by winners. We're on a winning team. Imagine, you know, you're a baseball player and you have the opportunity to be on a team with Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, Willie Mays as your center fielder, Luke Garrick as your first ba- baseman, Roger Hornsby as your second baseman, Hannes Wagner at your shortstop, A-Rod as your third baseman, Johnny Bench as your catcher, and Walter Johnson and Josh Gibson as your pitchers. Wouldn't you want to be on a team like that? Right? 
Mariano Rivera would be our closer. Wouldn't you want to be on a team like that? In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 through 24, again, this thought is repeated. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. Hey, the angels are there with us. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, all the believers who have gone before us. To God, the judge of all the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You talk about a winning team? A winning team. Don't we all want to be a part of a winning team? You know, when, when a team wins the Super Bowl, their fan base will usually double within the next uh, year. Why? Because, you know, all the people want to be fans and a part of a winning team. We, we all desire that. I know, look, I know there are some people sitting here, and my heart goes out to you in your martyrdom. You know, the Med fans and the Jet fans. Um, my, my heart really goes out to you as sports martyrs. But we like to be associated with winners. We all want to be a part of a winning team. We want to sing. We are the champions, right? We are the champions, my friend, right? We all want that. Well, God gives us the opportunity to walk with champions. He gives us the opportunity to walk with Hall of Famers. Every day we have that opportunity to walk with the champions, to walk with Jesus, to walk with the angels, to walk with Abraham and Joseph and Moses and Ruth and Deborah, David and Elijah and Elijah, Paul, Stephen, John, Mary, Mary and Mary. We have that opportunity every day. It's, it's, it's right there before us. And we're in the midst, right? We're in the midst of a time. And I see this, I see this depression, this frustration, this discouragement in the church of people, right? They're looking at the world. Look what's happening in the world. And you see that the hatred for God and the hatred for Christ and you see the hatred for the church. And Well, we look at that and we start to get caught up with that and we kind of, again, lose sight. We lose sight of the spiritual. And Tammy just sang the song. The, the, that, that, that old, right, old Negro spiritual. They kept their eyes on heaven. But it's easy to start looking around at everything that's wrong. All the things that, that frustrate us and bother us. And we watch, we watch hours and hours of news that is just depressing. And yet God says to us that we should fix our eyes amongst the champions who surround us. And that's not only those in heaven. The church triumphant, but the church victorious here now. Look around, there are champions in our midst Look around, there are champions in our midst. There are people who are right here, and I'll tell you as this, uh, the pastor of the church, who greatly inspire me in their faithfulness, in their commitment, in their consistency, in their love for Jesus and for one another. Look around and see them. There, there, there are champions, and there are hall of famers right here amongst us. So we walk not only 
with a crowd of witnesses who have gone before us, but a crowd of witnesses who surround us and they inspire us. So we can be victorious people as we walk with champions. Do you realize you become like the people you surround yourself with? And when I see somebody going wrong, when I see a kid going wrong, I just want to ask, well, who are they connecting with? And I can tell you, you can, see, you, can see, you can see that right in your life. We need to walk with champions, and we have that opportunity. All right, number two, dump. You need to take a dump. Not that kind of dump. Hebrews chapter 11, 1. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Dump the weight that weighs you down, that wears you out, that weakens your body and weakens your soul and weakens your spirit, that ensnares you and trips you up and makes you stumble and fall and sometimes will keep you down. I'll say this. Victors deal with the sin, they deal with the weaknesses, they deal with the things in their lives and they take responsibility for themselves. They dump the things that keep them from living victoriously. Victims refuse to take responsibility. Victims would rather blame, they'd rather give excuses, right? And they'd rather justify their failures their weaknesses, their sins, instead of taking responsibility for them. The world is filled with victims. Have you noticed that? In fact, that's, that's the whole, I think, one of the, great, one of the great ploys of the devil. And you see this, you see this in the political realm. You see this right now in, in this country. Everybody's a victim. Women are victims, right? Men are victims. The children are victims. Whatever color you are, you're a victim. Your nationality, your victim. Everybody's a victim. And no one wants to take responsibility for their lives. But you've got to dump that. You've got to dump the things that are holding you down. You've got to dump the things. Whether, whether it's sin or just bad attitudes, you've got to dump them. Because you can't run the race carrying a load of sin of unrepented, unconfessed sin, of, of negative attitudes. You can't run the race. So let me just say this to you. Sometimes it's not even a boulder. You ever get a pebble in your shoe? How many of you have ever run a race? How many of you have run a marathon? How many of you have ever done a triathlon? How many of you have ever done a half marathon? Same hands keep going up. How many have ever done a 10K? A 5K? How many of you have ever just run around the block once <laughs> and, and not lost your breath? <laughs> I've done that to you before. I have, I have fun with that. I was running a race once and I had a pebble in my shoe. And you know this when you're running a race. You don't want to stop. You know, you got your watch out. You may not be competing with anybody else. You're competing with yourself to break your last time. And you're running, but you got a pebble in your shoe. And that pebble is eating away at the skin and the flesh in your foot. And you don't want to stop. So eventually, you know what? You're, you're kind of you're hobbling. Then you stop. And I had to stop. 
And I had to unlace my shoe, and then I had to take my shoe off and dump the pebble out, put it back on, and lace it up. So I lost, I don't know, a minute. But once the pebble was out of my shoe, I was able to run again. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily have to be a boulder. It could just be a little pebble. What's the pebble in your life? Think about it right now. What's the pebble in your, not, your life that's keeping you from being victorious? That's keeping you from living a victorious Christian life? I don't know. I don't know about you. I've identified multiple pebbles and stones in my life. Number three, run. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says, And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How should we run? It, it tells us right there. How should we run? Right, with endurance. Right? It, it, it's saying that it, this is not a sprint. You ever see sprinters? Sprinters come into the church. Right, they come to the altar. They're all pumped up. They're excited. I love Jesus, 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 Jesus. And, and then two weeks later, they're gone and don't want to be bothered with the church and don't want to be bothered with Jesus. They're sprinters. This is not a sprint. This is a long-distance marathon. It's a marathon, not a sprint. When you sprint, right, you, you explode you, you burst out of the, you know, off the line. Your heart rate goes up. Your blood pressure goes up. Your body starts pouring endorphins. Right? You run 100 meters. You can't keep running that fast, so you stop. The Christian life isn't like that. The Christian life is a marathon. It's day by day, hour by hour, step by step. You just keep moving forward. You run with endurance. By the way, this was a hard lesson in my life on a physical level because I had basically been a sprinter my whole life. Weightlifting, right? Boxing, martial arts. I, I was a sprinter. I rarely ever went out and ran long distances. And then at 50, I decided to take up marathons and triathlons. And that was a, that was a great learning lesson of going from, you know, aerobic, you know, to aerobic from anaerobic. It was a very, very different because I was used just to doing everything full force like a maniac. And I had to learn to pace myself. I had to learn, you know, it was, it was, it was step by step. And I had to learn the keys of, of long distance running, swimming, biking. Just was talking to one of the families in the church. Their son just completed uh, a, a triathlon. He took eighth place out of 80 people. And his mom was telling me that she just finished an Olympic triathlon, which is a big step up from the sprint triathlons in the area. But you know this, you have to pace yourself. You've got to pace yourself in your training. You've got to pace yourself in the event. So how do you run with endurance in the Christian life? One is you've got to run with consistency. You have to be consistent. You can't, you can't wing it. You know winged people? You don't want winged people, right, in your organization. You don't want winged people in your business. You don't want winged people. You know winged people? 
well, you know, I feel like it, so I'm going to do it today, but I don't feel like it, so I'm not going to do it tomorrow. They just wing it. Everything, everything is just this emotional base. There's no, there's no mythology. There's no principles. There's no consistency in worship, in prayer, in the word, in fellowship, in stewardship. You can't build a church with winged people. You can't build a ministry with winged people. You can't make disciples with winged people. Winged churches, by the way, you have all these people, they're, they're basically, just, they come and sit and do nothing. They don't practice with any sort of methodology and consistency in their Christian walk. We need to be consistent. A second thing you need to do, to run with endurance, you need to eat. When I was doing triathlons, I would burn seven to 8,000 calories a day. And on weekends, because I would, do a tri- I would do, there was a point where I did a triathlon every weekend for about 14 weeks. I'd go like start in the, the fall and uh, the spring and go right into the, uh, the fall. And during, during that time, on weekends, because I would do a triathlon every weekend, whether it was a competitive triathlon, an organized one, or I'd just go out and do one on my own. I'd do the pool or lake and then go out and bike and run. I would consume 10,000 calories on the weekend. And it's like a foodie's dream, right? If you were a foodie, and, you, and I wouldn't gain weight. In fact, I would lose weight. But there's a point, you know, I, I would, I mean, lots of fruits and vegetables, lots of whole grains, you know, fish, and, and you know, I'd eat some lean beef, and turkey, and chicken, and eggs. And that wasn't enough. Then it was donuts, how would you like to be able to sit down, eat all the donuts you want, and, and literally not feel, you know that sick feeling you get when you eat too much? I wouldn't feel, I just keep eating and the body's just sucking it up. Cakes, ice cream, cookies. I mean, weekends it was like not two desserts, five desserts. But when you're running the race, you, you need to eat. And when you're running the Christian race, what did Jesus say? I think he said it in Matthew chapter 4. 4, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from the mouth of God. You've got to be feeding yourself. You've got to be in the Word. Not just on Sunday. You need to be in the Word. Am I echoing? Hello, hello, hello. Another thing you need to do is you need to stay hydrated. If you don't stay hydrated, you're going to cramp up. I did a, uh, a triathlon once. It was like 90 degrees in the morning. And um, I had not really underestimated the heat. And so uh, I went out. The swim, of course, was, was easy. And then I went out and I, I did the bike. And I really pushed the bike. And, and when I did the run, I was cramping up. And it wasn't just my calves. It was my quads, it was my hamstrings. I'm getting cramps in my gut, I'm getting cramps in my back. And, um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to stay hydrated, but once, once you begin to go into dehydration, and hey, let me tell you this here, for those of you over 50, do you realize your brain doesn't work the way it used to work with your body with hydration, especially with this heat? And that your brain will not know when you need to drink. That's why you need to continuously be drinking. You don't need to carry around the gallon and be, you know, and by the way, some people have died from overhydration. That's a rare thing, but it happens. 
their brain actually, water goes into the brain and, they, and they've actually died. But just you need to stay hydrated. But if you're like me, over 50, you need to drink even when maybe you're saying, geez, I don't feel so thirsty. Well, in the Christian life, right, water is a metaphor for the spirit. John chapter 4, 10 through 14. We need to stay hydrated with the Spirit. If you start to dehydrate from the Spirit, you're in trouble. You are in trouble. When you start, when you, look, how do we stay hydrated with the Spirit? We need to continue to stay under the influence of the Spirit. Do not be filled with wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, 18 as you continue to walk in the Spirit and worship and obey God and trust God and you continue to you know, plug into the fellowship and do the things that God is calling you to do, you'll stay hydrated in the Spirit. But you get away from those things, you start to... You ever see Christian, dehydrated Christians? I've seen them. They just lose their passion. They lose their passion for God. They lose their passion for ministry. They lose their passion for service. They're dehydrated. They need to get hydrated with the Spirit to be able to run. Number four, focus. So in verse two and three, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Focus. On who? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus because, you see, that will prevent you from being distracted. That will prevent you from being distracted. Uh, dis- I'm sorry, distracted from discouraged. We have, are we even getting a lot of echo here? Or is it just me? What is it? Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12 instead of Hebrews 11. I just throw that out there because I want to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> You're the only one who noticed it. (laughs) Francisco! Don't you like the name Francisco? Francisco! Francisco! If if you're not focusing on Jesus, you're going to get discouraged. You're you're, going to experience being distracted. You're going to get disappointed. And you're going to get disillusioned. We have to be focused on Him. And then notice what what it says here who endured the cross to get to the resurrection. He endured Friday to get to Sunday, right? Sammy, what was it? It was Friday, but Sunday was coming. And Jesus endured the hostility and the pain to get to the glory. And He's our example. You know, lest you become weary and discouraged. And again, what what do we see? We see a lot of people discouraged. We see a lot of people weary. And you keep looking around. Right, folks? You you look around, even even at the body. And the body of Christ, to a great extent, is very discouraging at this time. And I'm not talking about you, but the church as a whole. Where's the voice? Where's the courage? Where, where Where are the people in the pulpit speaking up about what's going on in this world right now? 
And they're, and they're not. You know, well, let's just keep the people here. Let's, you know, let's itch their ears. Let's get their tithes, right? You're, you're all, according to the church growth people, you're giving units, right? Not, not servants of the living God and disciples who should be going out, witnessing, making disciples, and changing the world. It can be discouraging. See people backslidden, right? I said this, you know, the characteristic of the church in the current time prophetically, according to Revelation chapter 2 and 3, is what? What is the church? It's Laodicea. We're fine. We're rich. We have everything we need. We don't need more of God. We don't need more of prayer. We don't need more worship. We don't need more obedience. Everything's fine. And what did Jesus say to them? You're poor, you're pitiful, and you're naked. And he knocks on the door because he's not inside the church. He's outside the church. He's not in their lives. He's outside. So they're, 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 they're nominal Christians. They're not saved. And I think that, that is a characteristic of much of what is in Christianity today. To, to live victoriously, you must fix your eyes on Jesus and what He went through. Because we'll go through hardships. Not what He went through, but we can go through some hardships. Alright, number, number five. Train. So in verses, oh, Hebrews 12, it's Hebrews 12, verse 4 through 11. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Has anybody here been bloodied up for their Christian faith? No, some of our brothers across the country have, not, not too many. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best for them, but he for our prophet, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful nevertheless afterwards. It yields a peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. How many of you realize you're in training? If you're a believer, you're in training. And the greatest coach who has ever been is God who's in your life. And He will discipline you. He will chasten you to perfect you. He will cut away the dead wood in your life that you can be more fruitful. How many of you have a plan for growth? How many of you have a plan, a self-development plan for your life, a self-improvement plan. You know, something that when I became a Christian and I began to venture into the, the writings of the great saints through church history, so I began to read 
John Chrysostom, Francis of Assisi, Bernard of, of Clairvaux, um, Sister Claire, uh, just some of the great, John Wesley and John Knox and Charles Spurgeon. Um, as I began to read them, something I saw, they all had a methodology, a plan for growth. They all journaled. They, they all had time where they would engage in Bible study, where they had time where they would engage in, in, in prayer. And I said, boy, if those people who were the great leaders and, and influencers of Christianity, if they needed to do that, I certainly need to. And I began to develop a spiritual growth plan for my life. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should be disqualified, or become disqualified. So Paul gives an illustration here of a runner and of a fighter. Imagine that you decide that you're going to go on a marathon tomorrow morning. How would you do? If you went into a marathon tomorrow morning, I mean, if you're not trained, how far are you going to get? Well, not too far, right? Maybe down the block? Maybe around the corner? And then you're going to be done. What if you decided you were going to go in a boxing ring? You're going to box somebody. How would you do? Right? You wouldn't do too, too well, right? You get punched a few times, you get knocked right off your feet, and you're done. But that's the, the point here. What, Paul, what he's saying here is that you need to train for the race, for the fight that God has placed before you. And to go in to the Christian life untrained. And, you see, and again, you see this. You see people just burned out. Their, their, their faith, they're just burned out. Their spiritual, they're just burned out. And then you see people who are just beat up. And the devil has just, has just beat, he's beat the snot out of them. And that is because we are not trained for what we are engaging in. And that is what you, you need to train. You need, you need to have a plan of prayer. You need to have a plan of Bible study. You need to have a plan of worship. You need to have a plan of fellowship. You need to have a plan of stewardship. And just like physical training, that is going to prepare you for the race. That's going to prepare you for the battle. All right, last point. Pursue. In verse 14 through 17 of Hebrews 12, I got caught up in Hebrews 11. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Now I want you to look at that again, the first sentence. What are the two things that we are being exhorted to pursue. 
peace and holiness. Pursue, right, those two things. Ask yourself, what are you pursuing in your life? What are your main pursuits in your life right now? The things you most think about, the things you most focus on, the things you most spend energy pouring yourself into, what are, what are the things that you are most pursuing in your life? Here is again the exhortation. Pursue shalom. Do you understand the word shalom? And by the way, this is not, this is, I'm taking it from the, the Hebrew text, but shalom, it's well-being. Most people think, you know, oh, shalom is peace. You know, peace, man, I'm just living, I'm living in peace. I'm not, I'm not going to let anything bother me. No, sh- shalom is so much more than that. Shalom is, 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 is wellness of body and soul and spirit. It's, it's wholeness, it's health, it's, it's welfare, it's safety, it's soundness, it's tranquility, it's prosperity, it's perf- uh, perfectness, it's fullness, it's rest, it's harmony. It's, it's the absence of agitation and discord. That is the, the concept of, of, of shalom. It, mean, it really means to be in a, pers- a place of complete wellness. Like a perfect wellness. And he says, this is what we... I mean, what a great thing to pursue. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I began to understand this, I said, I want, I want some of that. I want to be well physically. I want to be well psychologically. I want to be well spiritually in my relationship with God. Again, I, I don't know of, of anything that is greater than to pursue shalom. Think about that. Would you make that commitment today in your life? How different would your life be 365 days from today if you made your pursuit, you made your objective, your goal to pursue shalom in your life? Wow. And then he says, pursue holiness. In Hebrew, kudosh, we did a lot of studying on Wednesdays on the kudosh. What is kudosh? It means means to be separated from the things that stand against God, to be separated to God. But essentially, kudosh is to be his child, his son, his daughter, his people. And and kudosh is, is a word... It, it talks about, really, it's, it, it encompasses so much our relationship with God, our relationship with others, our relationship with the world, but it really carries with it the idea of character, integrity, nobility, courage, fidelity, faithfulness, being a person whose yes is yes and no is no, being a man and a woman of honor, Right? That's something that is really rare today. Right? How many, how, many people, how many people do you meet or how many people do you see just in, in, in the realm around us who are, are truly honorable people? Look at, look at a, a great quote. I don't know who said this, but I've used this. Geez, I've used this in seminars, webinars, preaching. If you lose your wealth, you have lost nothing. Because you can get it back. If you lose your health, you have lost something. 
But if you lose your character, you have lost everything. You look at people who lose their character, right? They they be found out that they were they were living a lie, right? They just they lose the respect of everyone around them. And I've I've experienced that in the church with people where I've seen people they just they lie, they cheat, they steal, and you just lose total respect for them. And man, let me tell you something, when they, when they make that withdrawal, it takes a long time, if they'll ever regain your respect, and a lot of times they never do. But to be, to be a person of, of character, to be a person who's, who's honorable, I mean, again, what is he saying? Pursue this. Pursue to be a person of holiness. Pursue to be a person that when you make a commitment or a promise, you keep it. That when you say yes, your yes is definitely yes. And when you say no, your no is definitely no. And you mean what you say and you say what you mean. Even when it hurts. Even when it hurts. When you may look bad. That's character. That's holiness lived out. Pursue peace. Pursue holiness. Victorious people. And you go through that entire hall of faith of Hebrews 11, that's what they pursued. So our final application, right? Victory in victory and defeat. Be aware. Folks, we walk not alone. We, we walk surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and we walk amongst champions right here. Dump whatever is holding you down. Maybe today is the day you dump it. Whatever it is. What's holding you down? What's keeping you from running the race? Dump it. And run the race. Run the race that's set out before you, focusing on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. And train. Get a plan in place to train and to become stronger and stronger, going from strength to strength. The endurance increasing every day and pursue peace and pursue holiness. Hebrews 11, right? Here's the message. It's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you. That's what gives you the victory. It's not what happens to you, but it's what happens in you that gives you the victory in Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads. We'll prepare for communion. You can take out your cup and the bread. Father, I just pray that you prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. We, Lord God, would just come and examine ourselves, just make sure there's nothing in our lives, Lord God, that's not right with you, and that we would confess it and repent it right now and turn from it. And that, Lord God, we truly would be renewed in the covenant of your blood. In Jesus' name. So this morning, um, I think, as you know, that little thimble trying to get the uh, bread out of it has been a major challenge in my life. So I decided I would not sit up here fumbling 
with that anymore. But I couldn't find a matzah in the whole church, a big matzah. So I came here with a pretzel. <laughs> but Diane did find the matzah. So, by the way, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that um, in Africa, they don't have grape juice. So the Christian churches, when they meet in Nigeria, in Kenya, Somalia, they use Coca-Cola. God honors that. There's no grape juice. But I do have matzah. So God bless you, Diane, for giving me the matzah. So on that night, Jesus, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. He said to them, take this, all of you, and eat this, for this is my body. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Hey, you know, just, I don't know if your matzah, I don't think it has this, but my matzah has holes in it. His body was pierced. And um, it's also got these serrations on it. His body was serrated for us. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. And then the Lord, he took the cup and he gave it to his disciples and he said to them, take this, all of you, and drink this, for this is my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant. And he said, do this in remembrance of me and in remembrance of our Lord's blood, which was his life that he poured out on the cross of Calvary. Where we take this drink, we drink it, but we take his life into ourselves. So Jesus, fill us with more of your life and we do this in your name. As the worship team leads us in a final song, you're welcome to come to the altars and seek the Lord. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Lord, for your holy word. Yes, the altars are open for you if you'd like to come and spend a little quiet time here praying alone or with somebody. Let's sing of His Holiness.
God the Father, Son, and Spirit go with you all and bless you, bring you home safely today. May you have a wonderful day in the Lord's day, on this beautiful day. And the Lord God, just watch over you, bless the work of your hands, bless your marriages, your children, your families, and be with us all. Amen.